All right. Welcome to the Nulls 24-7 podcast. I'm Brendan Sinone. Joining me, Chris Nee, Bob Ferrante. They're actually at the Casa de Sinone as we're recording this on a Sunday, trying something a little different. Figured uh, you know, some of you guys would want a podcast to either uh, you know, get some context or just relive what was a uh, forgettable Saturday afternoon or evening for Florida State. The Seminoles lost to our rival Miami 24-20. to uh, that basically ends the winning streak. Florida State had won every single game this this decade, so that ends. Uh, Florida State falls to one and three, and uh, this is basically the equivalent of the the meme or the gif or gif or whatever it is of the dog sitting in the the burning fire right now, saying everything's okay because you know we're here to tell you it's probably not really that okay right now, right? I mean, we're trying not to be reactionary. We're trying not to tell you the world's on fire but man one and three is pretty terrible and the issues with this program transcend just what happened on saturday i think wherever you're sitting you're seeing smoke or fire no matter how close you are to it it's this was a performance that you know force State very much could have won it a bunch of different ways i think the offense was a big letdown early only getting three first half points it was a, a first half where i think force State dominated and, and really gave Miami an open door in the second half to to push through and you know it gave us a really dramatic fourth quarter it was I guess if you're not a fan of either team it was fun to watch because it was really really good football and good drama but man if, if you're a Florida State fan you just had to feel like like a Miami fan last year with the blocked extra point it was like oh oh no nope no. nope uh nope so it, it, it just man what a what a crazy season it's already been between all the hurricane time lost, 21-day layoff, and now somehow to lose to NC State, somehow to lose to Miami. Man, barely beaten Wake. They, they could have been 0-4. Miami ran 58 plays for 187 yards. And then over the last two drives, they ran 15 plays for 150 yards <laughs> and two touchdowns. <laughs> That's not good. That's what I saw. And you know what that equates to? Letdown City. And Florida State's done it a lot the last couple years. Actually, the last three years now. And it all correlates with one person. We're, we'll get into uh, to accountability and where to uh, to kind of place blame because I know that's what a lot of people want. And, and the truth is there's a lot of issues, and it's not just one person. But let's start off with the defense. And, Chris, you're alluding to Charles Kelly, the defensive coordinator, and, and he's someone, you know, for me on the record, like I, I don't want to say I supported last year, but uh, there was a turnaround. There was progress late in the season, and I thought that was worth – monitoring because of what it could transcend or translate into uh, this season and it hasn't happened Uh, at this point we've had a large enough of a sample size 2014 season his first as a defensive coordinator not very good with a ton of NFL talent that was kind of a not a throwaway but you know there was some wonder you know the hangover of after winning that national championship with all that talent where guys checking out yeah waiting to cash yeah so that was at least something I think at least for me I was like okay let's see what happens 2015 maximized potential that group wasn't supremely talented they had Jalen Ramsey they had Derwin James as a uh, as a true freshman but really it was a lot of fifth year seniors and guys who weren't good enough to get drafted early I mean that's pretty much what that defense was and, and they maximized their potential to be a top 10 unit that year then when last season happened and you had the debacle against Louisville you had the debacle against North Carolina then some slow steady progress including the game that was a setback against Clemson where they played better than they had against good offenses but uh, kind of like what we saw yesterday against Miami uh, not being able to kind of seal the deal when needed um, finish things strong and now here we are you know four games into the 2017 campaign and and the defense has been good in spurts it's been 
excellent in stretches. It was excellent in the first half against Miami. It was largely really, really good against Alabama. Those are two games you get up for automatically. The issue is sustaining that type of enthusiasm and, and playing well and being efficient. Uh, and through four games, it hasn't been frequently enough. Yeah, and the biggest takeaway I had on Saturday with regards to the defense is you see them do 30 plays for 57 yards and multiple three and outs in the first half. They were dominant. That, that's the elite yep. capability of what they are. The second half, they were completely a sieve. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, what Miami want, Miami took. I think they had 280 yards in the second half, 150 on the last two drives, 15 plays, 10 per play on those last two drives. I think they averaged more than eight per play in the fourth quarter, more than six per play for the whole second half. It was just take what you want. And the biggest thing that I keep coming back to when I think back on it is, my God, what the hell are they thinking from a coaching perspective on that last drive? The, the, let's talk, it, let's focus not, on that last drive. It's not solely yeah. the last play. Everybody's going to focus on T-Mac giving up the touchdown one-on-one on the edge with nine bodies on the line of scrimmage at the snap. It's a poor play call from the get-go, putting mm-hmm. a guy in a one-on-one situation with 11 seconds and a lead that you can protect and take a field goal and go to overtime. Mm-hmm. That's just bad coaching straight up. But earlier in that drive, when they allowed two first downs via the run because they were giving away the edges and Miami took the edges and ran it that way, that's horrible coaching. Yeah. I mean, it, the man's getting paid $850,000 a year, and he's not earning it. it, it my issue was that I was down on the sideline for the, the final play there. Uh, it was pretty close to you know Charles Kelly and Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo's working the officials while they're reviewing whether that was a touchdown and stuff. It just There was not a lot of... It just didn't seem like to be any answers. It didn't seem like there was a that was a staff that was confident. Jimbo kind of smiled afterwards. Kind of shook his head. Just knew what what that meant for for the team and for the season. Uh, Charles Kelly was irate. I mean, that was the guy who obviously needed that to not be a touchdown. And and just this, there doesn't seem like there's a lot of answers or it doesn't happen enough. And I think that's that's one of the issues that fans have have had the last couple of seasons is an inability to whether make adjustments either it's game to game or in game. That final drive, Chris, like you said, was not was not well coached it wasn't it wasn't well executed by the players but it wasn't well coached and after a while there's something you know you could say oh you know great if t-mac made that play on the ball but he played the ball really well with two previous plays where they threw it to one-on-one on that drive at a certain point there's some kind of level of, of accountability that has to be on the defensive coordinator for not coordinating the defense correctly braxton Berrios versus kyle myers was just negligent uh, I mean, they I mean, were they were eight of Miami ten for ninety they, yards. Miami figured out they had barriers. that, and they yep. kept going to that honeypot all day. And yep. because you did nothing to adjust, you're paid as a coach to make adjustments. Yep. There was no adjustment made. Mm-hmm. It, it's pitiful. We sat on this podcast before the season talking about how this was a huge year for Charles Kelly mm-hmm. individually, and he's failed. Yeah, yep. plain and simple, he's failed. Louisville, they quit last year, and they were pathetic. UNC, they loafed and lost. Those were two strikes. Strike three was Saturday night. Game over. Yeah. But, like, even at this point, you know, last year, I've referenced the turnaround they had. I mean, that was, you know, there were guys loafing. There were tangible things. You say, okay, you fix this. You simplify it. There's a chance you can make it. Like, I don't know what you can do to make this better. And we also take into account last year that the offenses they played down the stretch yeah. kind of favored them to Correct. be better. Yeah. And some of that might happen in the back half of this year. Mm-hmm. This year, BC's not a good offense. Florida's not a particularly mm-hmm. good offense. So they're obviously going to play some that's going to play a little more into your hands. But the plain and simple truth is, do we believe Charles Kelly is a defensive coordinator that can be a part of the puzzle that helps FSU return to a high level of performance? And for me, the answer is, without a doubt, no. The evidence supports no at this point. Yeah, I mean, you could probably have a field of good defense. And he's not the only issue. We, no, we've spoken about plenty of issues. But on Saturday night, he was a glaring issue at the end of that game. And it, and again, it's 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 tough for us to know, like, 
know, what plays are being called, what the, but, but we, we can see our results. And the results right and now aren't good enough. It's not about individual plays. It's about, as the game progresses, is he doing the things that need to be done mm-hmm. to put that defense in the highest position to win to maximize the talent? You wrote about how they have at least five NFL drafts. At least and five. And the truth is they probably for this have year. at least two to three more than that. Yep. That defense should not have the issues it consistently has. You know, we, we know how good that defense can be. We've seen it in flashes this year. I would say the entire first half on Saturday is mm-hmm. a fantastic example. Now, did I expect them to replicate the first half and the second half? No, no. Way. that doesn't happen. But it was literally Jekyll and Hyde, to use the easiest cliche in the world. Yeah. It was completely Jekyll and Hyde. You can't was, shit yourself when it matters the no. most. I mean, that's kind and of what, what we're And they do at. that. They've done that way too often. For, for what the talent. And I think that, and I wrote a column last night, and I, the thing that kept coming back to me is, is if – if Jimbo Fisher runs this program as he's you know, as an organization. He calls it the organization. It's not just a program. Like for him, it's supposed to be this business. It's a very Nick Saban esque way of looking at things. And so, if it's a result oriented business, which it is, um, the results just aren't good. And you're and you're and you're recruiting well. You're bringing in guys who have NFL potential right from the get go. Like like Josh Sweat comes in um, as a guy who was really good as a true freshman. Like you have guys that you are able to just plug and play and be impact players. Derwin James was going to be an NFL player from day one, regardless of like what happened to his development at Florida State. And it was just a matter of like how high of a draft pick or whatever, but he was going to be an NFL player. Uh, so you have guys that you're doing a really, really good job. That aspect of it, you're still doing a good job. And you're recruiting, you're bringing guys in uh, on that side of the ball that are going to be productive players and make it in the NFL and probably be productive at that level. The issue is that's not translating consistently enough to success and, and that's what it's all about is success on that level like that's if you're Jim Fisher you're paid for is to win football games if you're Charles Kelly you're paid for is to put together good defenses it's not happening happening consistently enough I think some of the problems on defense are are pretty obvious but but one of them is you know offenses are using quick passes and that's neutralizing the pass rush we're seeing far too often where there's just not even a chance to get to the quarterback not enough sacks not enough pressure and, and like the other one, Barrios just ate him alive. They're, we're seeing smaller slot receivers, mm-hmm. kind of like Ryan Switzer last yeah. year with North Carolina. He Who's just, the way just tore came. him up. A Greg Dorch. Yeah, and they adjusted and, and put Kyle Myers on him to an extent, but, you know, right. uh, still, he had almost 100 yards or about 100 yards receiving. They also don't generate turnovers. They've had, mm-hmm. what, three now? Yeah. Two against Wake and one yesterday. Yeah. And, and how many pass deflections? That like like uh, the SB Nation. Bill Conley has. A, I believe they were credited with twelve yesterday. And they had one interception. Is that? And I think the math. I could be wrong. I think it's basically typically is one out of every four or five pass deflections over a period of time translates into an interception. Uh, so one out of twelve doesn't you know isn't great. I mean, there's positive things too. Like I don't want us to be all negative because you know when the coach does a good job, like in that first half, like there's something they're doing right. We don't want to be taking a dump on them and just they're doing poorly. Um, but again, you're seeing the flashes of what this group can be. Um, let's talk about the positives real quick. Like I thought, Josh Sweat played one of his best games as a pass rusher. We've seen uh, his ability to like bend and turn a corner uh, and get off the ball quickly. Like that was NFL first round type of stuff that we saw from him. Matthew, I thought Matthew Thomas keeps performing and keeps playing level. well. And he's a guy that will, at least talent wise, is a first round draft pick. He's a little bit older. He's going to have some issues to account for when draft time comes around. Um, <laughs> But, but he is going to get drafted because he's talented. And he's a good dude, too. Like, I feel like he's a smart guy that the NFL teams are going to, you know, they're going to have to do some background checks with him because of what's happened off the field but and injuries. But he's going to be a guy that, that gets drafted because he's talented. Um, 
Tavares McFadden, listen, for the most part was good. That touchdown was unfortunate. He defended two passes before that really, really well and was generally in the right place and did a really good job against uh, Richards, their, their Miami's top wide receiver. Like, he was good. Derwin James was fine. I mean, I just I didn't see enough of him being an impact guy. Almost had interception. Yeah, he did. Had an excellent tackle in space early in the game. Too. So he flashed and did some things, but, you know, we're talking about, like, making – game-changing plays, and yeah. we haven't seen that enough in this defense. Stanford Samuels turned into an, ex- an excellent highlight in the end zone, which was a very big momentum switch at and that Stan- time. He's going to be yeah, uh, Stanford's good. got the Real good. Yep. yep, that's clear at this point. You're going to see him a lot more. The individual talent of the defense is clear and evident. When you yep. go player by player that they start, that they rely upon, that they play, they're a talented defense. This is ta- defense is as talented, if not more, than that 2013 defense per individual the player. Co- the collective is underwhelming. Yep. This is the uh, talent wise, this is the best defense they've had per player since I've been here, probably. If you just go across the board. Now, how that works collectively, like you said, Chris, that's the issue. And then that's where we're coming. Yeah. They, they were put in a bad position. Bob alluded to it earlier when he talked about the offense with the slow start. Yeah. We were talking earlier. The offense has scored 36 first half points this year, nine per half. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, nine per first half on the year. You can't keep doing that. But the defense has to understand it's James Blackman over there. It's a really bad offensive line up there. That's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But it, it's on the defense for this team to win games, to be good, to be in a position to win games. And on Saturday, they faltered. I mean, they gave up 14 points in the fourth quarter. They gave up 14 points after two go-ahead scores. You just can't do that. Yeah. I mean, you're a part of this team that's being relied upon. Mm-hmm. Whether that's fair or unfair doesn't matter. It's the truth of the matter. And they feel no, when they were put in that position. I was talking. I was talking to my fiance in the car this morning. She watches it. I like talking to her about the game because she sees it in a very simplistic way. But the stuff she says just kind of makes you know makes you think about football in a little bit of a different sense because she's seeing the body language and stuff that's going on out there. And and she was you know I told her what we were going to be probably be talking about on the podcast today and it was about the defensive coordinator and how you know it's just kind of the results aren't. And she said, well, the offense seemed like it struggled more than the defense did. And I was like, yeah, you're you're right. For most of the game, it did, but. The defense is built and was supposed to be entering the season. That's not our expectations I'm talking about now. This is internally. They thought this group was going to be really freaking good. Yeah. Uh, they had defenders saying this is a championship or bust season for them. Uh, you had national pundits and analysts. That everyone's saying you, you that this— You get hyperbole like that every year. That's always normal. Always in preseason camp. I mean, yep. Marcus did it two years ago at ACC kickoff. It's a normal thing. But with this group, going back to what we said a little bit earlier, the individual talent adds up to that. Yep. That expectation has a reasoning to it. Mm-hmm. And they've just failed to live up to that. Yep. And they've, they've put together moments where they've looked like that, but it's not consistent enough. No, and there's a, an adage in, uh, I think it was in Moneyball, um, that, that Billy Bean had talked about in, in that book. And that was basically like, don't believe what your threshold is, what the A game is, because that's not always sustainable. Yeah. Um, believe what the truth is is probably what you normally hit, and that's um, we just always as whether as analysts as fans, you're always thinking, oh, you you hit this peak, and you could always keep returning to it, but that doesn't always happen. And through four games, the peak has been really, really great, but the regression in the mean has been like a top thirty defense, and this group shouldn't be top thirty. So I feel very much like after NC State, you know. When when FSU scores 19 against NC State, then gets the two points on the safety, you're giving you're getting 21. I feel like the defense should be under 21. That should have been and, enough. And yeah. last night, walking out of Doak, kind of felt the same way. You know, Florida State scored enough points to expect the defense to win, especially when Miami's got some struggles on offense. That's not an extremely impressive 
collective Miami offense. They've got some nice playmakers here and there. But Mark Walton didn't do a whole lot. That was yeah. the worst quarterback it, they played this season. It was mostly an offense. And he offense. picked him apart in the in the fourth quarter. Longest passing play of the game. Longest rushing play of the game. Both came Both right. Right. Travis Homer's 14-yard run, 37-yard pass to Chris Herndon, where nobody was in the vicinity. Yeah. And that's a complete breakdown. One that went to the left, and he just skedaddled down the line, which was when you were heading downstairs. Yeah. And you're like, how the hell did they oh, I got Yeah, they, they, they got downstairs, and they're in the red zone. I said, what the hell happened from yeah. the press box? Um, I mean, here we are, guys. So... We good one transition offense or anything else on defense before we we turn the page. No, I think that's pretty good view on the defense. I mean, I, I some of it's on the players, but to me, it's on the coaching. It's on the approach, and that's a Jimbo and Charles Kelly issue. After a while, like I would normally say, game by game players, we have enough of a sample size to say, like if you're not getting enough out of the players, like that falls on you. You're the you're the chef. You know what I mean? This is college football. You're picking the ingredients in which you're working with. The, decision, the product is yours. The decisions made on that final drive for Miami are mind blowing. Yep. Yeah. No. All right. Offense. Uh, Bob, I'll let you start because you talked about some of the struggles they had in the first half, but there was some positive too at the end of the game. It's weird when a game ends, uh, how that game ends, it just sets the tone. For like, if if we had stopped that game after three quarters, how differently the four quarter game. Um, so negatives, positives for the offense on on Saturday. I think the overall negative to me still is this is a cold starting team. Nothing productive in the first quarter through four games, essentially. A bad red zone team. I mean, this is shades of 2015 in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Where like, they lost at Georgia Tech in 2015, not on that, that blocked field goal in the return. They lost it because they couldn't convert in the yeah. red zone. Travis Rudolph not catching the ball. Travis Rudolph not <laughs> catching the ball. Golson forcing it into traffic. Mm-hmm. You know, Rudolph dropping it. There were, there were so many issues that night. But when you see red zone issues consistently... And Florida State's had him through four games. Mm-hmm. This is huge. And even if it is a true freshman, okay, everybody else has to help kind of bail him out too. Yeah. Auden Tate's injured. Landon Dickerson's injured. A lot of your key players are playing at far less than 100%, but you still have to figure out a way to convert on opportunities when you're down in that end of the field. The positives are, are pretty obvious. I mean, Cam Akers was, was extremely impressive. Mm-hmm. Give him more opportunities. Yep. Physical, he's willing to get in there and lower his helmet. He lowers his helmet sometimes so low, I'm, I'm stunned at how he can still be running and trying to get underneath a defensive player so that he can still be be pushing forward. He he runs the way Jimbo wishes Jaquez Patrick oh. would run. I mean, let's be... Right? Cam, Cam's, what, 5'11"? Yeah, he's, listed at five, he's listed at 5'11", maybe 5'10". Um, but he is so compact and runs with so much power and his ability to excel... Like they're, there's something special there. I mean, I think we saw that after the Alabama. I mean, first off, like, everyone thought he was going to be special, like, breaking news, the five-star guy. He's, he, he, he's what you thought he was going to be. I thought Patrick ran well, yes. I did, too. I thought he ran aggressive. Chris, you wrote, a, you wrote a really nice article on the offense finds that identity. Unfortunately, yeah. it's not the fire and brimstone I think people wanted. But, guys, go read it if you get a chance because it was a good perspective they, on They the were offense. conservative, and I fully expected that, especially if Mark Rick was conservative on the other sideline, which was clearly the they case to some yeah. degree, and the defense lived up to it in the first half for FSU. I didn't really have an issue with conservative. The issue that I had is you cross the 44 times and you get three points out of it. And they were, they were, they were bad at that like all season. And too, a lot like of it, Black, yeah. Blackman struggled for three quarters. I mean, it was, what, eight for 18 before that he sounds right. up Marvelous, nine for 10, four Two interceptions and just making some really yeah. – it, it was the first time he looked legitimately the, like The credit to Blackman lost. is he, he perseveres. He gets frustrated and it shows and he has his moments, but the kid keeps playing mm-hmm. and he'll make plays. He's capable of it. You gotta take the good with the bad with the lumps. He's a true freshman. Yep. If you expect him to be great, you're expecting way too much. 
And the running game's there. Patrick and Akers showed that they can be consistent. And I thought they did some good things with the O-line, moving the pocket at times yeah. and kind of being steadfast with we're going to work to this direction with some extra help. Mm-hmm. I thought, in general, the game plan was the best one we've seen in four games for FSU, especially uh, yeah. in the last three games, and especially in dealing with Blackman and some of the deficiencies so, they too. have on that side yep. of the ball. The issue is that you can't go in the fourth quarter with three points on the board, especially when you've had a handful of drives that should have produced some form of scoring. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, at some point you got to take some shots. And mm-hmm. that, that's what I came away from is the offense is getting there. It understands some things that are good, some of those go-to plays, the go-to players. Auden Tate's a grown man. Mm-hmm. I wish every player on FSU's team had the ball as that young man. Dude, that got some on His arm was dangling there, and he wanted to stay in, and then he went out, came back in, and caught what should yeah, the refs, The refs forced him to go out. That, uh, that, that, kid, that trainer was pissed. Yeah. There's a lot of kids that I think it's fair to wonder where their heads are with this team. Auden you can't Tate question one of those. If I'm Auden Tate, by the way, like I'm shutting it down for the rest of the year, yeah. not letting that shoulder fall off. You can go and get drafted in the fourth round and make yourself some money and be a stud in the NFL. Like, And then you got Ryan Izzo, who came out of witness protection and looked good again. He had a really bad game last week, and he answered this week. He blocked far better mm-hmm. than he did last week, had the big catches. It was nice to see FSU utilize the middle of the field. There were some things the offense figured out. It ain't pretty. And I said it's not a butte in that column, and that's very true. It's not ever going to be pretty. But they're figuring out some of the things they can go to to find success. The issue is they simply have to produce more points. And it's not going to be pretty with this offensive line and with a true freshman quarterback. You're going to be so inconsistent week after week after week. And that's where a lot of it falls on the defense to make sure that the, the total on the other side is low enough so that you can go over the top and, and win some of these games 17 to 14, 20 to 17. I mean, there's their wins. That's just the way it is. It's not going to be like, you know, 2013 when they're boat racing everybody and it's, you know, it's see you in the fourth quarter going down to Tennessee Street and drinking. It's Tennessee these, Street was crowded last night, by the way, on, on the way home. There was a lot of traffic. <laughs> there was a bad accident. I was behind an ambulance. That, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, way to kill the mood, Bob. They don't call you Debbie Downer for nothing, buddy. Speaking of accidents, let's go back to the defense. No, I'm kidding. Let's talk about the offense a little bit more. Um, I, I do want to focus on James Blackman because he is someone that, you know, he's shown, he's, I think Chris put it well, he's gonna, you're going to have your ups and downs. you got to take the good with the bad with him. Um, did you see him grow up yesterday? I did. you think we should write about that? <laughs> well, uh, there was a specific play where he had a hard slant, short route, working to the middle of the field. And the, hey, work to the middle of the field! And the receiver was in front of the DB, and he wanted to take it. And then he realized, I believe it was Michael Pickney, the linebacker from Miami, was dropping back. And if he throws that ball, it's picked. Mm-hmm. And I think a week or two ago, he almost certainly throws that ball. So it was good to see him talk it. He ran it forward for a couple yards, kind of lived with what he could get. You know, he was frustrated. when Jim, We saw Jimbo speaking to him at the end of the bench on the sideline, and that's when J.J. started to warm up and the entire world started to cave in. And you realize, you know, this kid, the frustration is clear with the kid. He wears it sort of on his sleeve. Mm-hmm. He has for every game he's played. But he went back out there and responded. He was 9 for his last 10, 8 for his last 8, hit 127 yards on those 8 completions. Two touchdowns, and yes, he didn't do enough to put his team in a position to win for three quarters, but he did in the end. And, and yeah, so that's where we try to put this into context. Like, the last thing we see is typically the lasting kind of memory that we'll have for that whole game, and the last thing we saw of him was making that pass to Auden Tate. Um, so you don't want to forget about what you saw the issues early on, but, but the fact that he had those issues and then climbs out of it is really super encouraging. And you're talking about trying to get him some confidence, some momentum, uh, baseline things to work on and to build on and grow with. 
that was all there. And I, I love the way he delivered that shot to Auden. Uh, saw that that was open, uh, delivered it quickly without hesitation. The touchdown to Ryan Izzo, same thing. Saw it open in the middle and just stood in, delivered it. Those were he's, crisp shots. And that's so much better when he quickly gets rid of the ball. He, First he, half, he gripped it, grabbed it a few times. Mm-hmm. And I think some of it was coverage, but he took a few sacks, put his guys yeah, in. They're, that they're better in the two minute drill, which isn't yeah. uncommon for uh, again, remember, less, and less thinking, more just, doing. Just react and let your true talent. And that's some of it is like, yeah, I know you want to play conservatively with him and you can't go and run tempo all the time, but. Change up the pace. Move it up a little bit because he's at his best. And then you're going to get some issues where he's going to put you in a bad spot and make a rookie decision. I think if you're Florida State, you have to continue to take the shackles off your quarterback. You can't you can't play scared with him as your quarterback. He's going to make some bad issues. He's yeah. shown enough to where some bad mistakes he's going to overcome them, or he at least has the ability to. He's not going to crumble and fall apart. Can't baby the dude anymore. I think that's where you're at with them. You're gonna have to live with the good and the bad, and that's gonna be a little bit of a gunslinger mentality. Both picks were bad. I they mean, were t- and they were bad. And they were entirely on black. And there, I mean, you know, we talked about the offensive line. He had four sacks. Um, are there four sacks? And I think mm, two of them were maybe on black. We haven't yeah. gone back and watched the game yet here on Sunday oh. afternoon. I haven't gotten the yeah, chance. Yeah, because he held it too long. Just didn't get rid of it. There was one I believe was essentially a coverage sack. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you, you got to. They're gonna have to live with the lumps mm-hmm. with James Blackman. But he's good enough. People that are people are jumping off bridges after three quarters yesterday thinking that kid would never amount to anything. He has potential. There's yeah. no doubt about it. There's a reason he's a starter. He jumped in a Jimbo Fisher offense, a true freshman starting doesn't just happen. It happened because he jumped a kid that they don't trust, mm-hmm. and he's the better of the two options at his age group. And one had a full spring ahead of him, too, and yeah. was supposed to be the more polished, ready guy, son of a quarterback coach and you know, high school coach. That's Bailey Hockman. Oh, I think they still like, but I mean, I think it's when you look at upside, man, like James, I almost said Justin. Have I said Justin during this no, podcast? Oof, I almost did. It was, it was, it was there. No, he, he made some throws that those are some big boy next up. I'd love to see when, you know, they have to get through this year, but you start putting a little bit more weight on him. And I think there's only so much weight you can put on because he's kind of a string bean, but give him a full year time to work with these guys, get chemistry. Like, the chemistry he has with Auden Tate after just a couple months to work with him, is pretty like extraordinary. And I think that's positive going forward. Uh, you guys mentioned Cam Akers. We don't have to go too much into that. The run game looked good. Um, keep giving Cam Akers the ball. He's special. Jacquez Patrick is finding his comfort level as a running back, uh, being a little bit more decisive and explosive, starting to kind of look like that. Listen, he's not going to be the Greg Jones bruiser I think people thought he was going to be, but he's still going to run with decent pad level and he's broken a couple nice runs like he when he hits the hole hard like there's going to be potential for a nice play he's not gonna he's not gonna house it but he can uh, he can get you something there and, and he played a heck of a game and played hurt too in that second half uh the negatives i mean wide receiver depth man is just just going to be continuing to continue to be an issue we asked jimbo fisher i asked jimbo about the injuries after the game to keith and uh, trey marshall got no real answer no no updates so it didn't look great for uh, Gavin. He was brought off on a medical cart, really put either no or, or very little weight on that leg. I think it was his right one, mm, 50-50. All right. Um, and you had you have George Campbell, still not you know 100%. They kind of tried to use him sparingly. Then were forced to throw him in more, I think, once Gavin went down. Auden Tate, Chris, you alluded to that shoulder. I mean, it, I think at one point he was trying to give someone a high five. Someone tried to give him a high five, and he couldn't lift the left shoulder. Like, dude. At some point, Jimbo's going to have to give in. I know he doesn't like playing true freshman receivers all that much, and they haven't had many guys besides Rashad and Travis who have had success. But Duke is probably the opportunity to go out there and say, I'm going to play 
DJ or Tamari and Terry. Just get Tamari and Terry the ball. I think it's get one of those guys yeah. ready because odds are there are some long-term injuries mm-hmm. on the receiving group. And, and you can make it work with some tight ends. Like Jimbo was a little bit creative in using formations with Maven yeah. and Ryan, and they used some bunch formations. And it, it, it looks unusual and different to mine, something they haven't seen on film. I think that was a little bit creative mm-hmm. that I'll give Jimbo credit for. But at some point, let's see everything that you've got because I think you've got to know if Terry or Matthews are ready to contribute. Yeah, and with the stack formations, where they were putting the tight ends out wide, I think that's setting up some bubble possibilities and even things where you can fake the bubble mm-hmm. and then go vertical with your tight end if he sheds the block type of things. So that's Jimbo setting up for down the road. You know, yeah. He likes to do that. And they were successful in both of them because they just ran in the, down the yeah. middle, at least the two plays I can remember. It was like a read option look. The truth is with the receivers is that the veterans outside of Auden really aren't playing at a high level. No, Nooney showed some flashes finally yesterday, but not enough. The fighting for ball hasn't been good. The making guys look better than they look hasn't mm-hmm. been good. They just they leave something to be desired. So at this point, I know freshmen are going to make mistakes, not going to run routes real effectively. I understand all the negatives, but hell, the veterans aren't really helping you out either. So I think it's not a matter of benching a guy and starting the other guy. It's a matter of giving them a guy some reps and seeing if it ignites a little fire, a little competition, because mm-hmm. that position needs to increase its production. All right, we're at 30 minutes here, guys. I know we said we only wanted to do a 30-minute podcast. Bob has to get his minute in on special teams. Bob, do you want to talk about special teams real quick? He's just laughing. All I'm really going to say is is Ricky made kicks. And and there were games where he did not swing the Florida State momentum early with some of those missed kicks. I think it was a 30-yard miss against – was that NC State? Anyway, he made two kicks on Saturday. We know know how kickers are valuable in the series and – Ricky has said he's found his kind of happy place where he's not questioning what he's doing. He's just doing it, and it's going through the uprights. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of said he's matured in a sense. I'll probably end up writing the story, but it's a positive oh, development from Ricky that he's in a good mental place after you know some conversations with people and then probably Jimbo too. So I think you know special teams didn't kill him. Logan um, Tyler was good. Logan yeah. Tyler, except for that line drive, yeah. I think Barrios yeah. set him up with well, a really, really short field. And that was weird too, with the penalty but, flag goes down, and I think some guys pulled he was up. Trying to, he, he was trying to mark the spot yeah. with beanbag, and he threw the wrong bag because you know but officials I, aren't good at doing. I think play, I think some players. I got to go back and look. I think they slowed down like on that, which you know you, you probably shouldn't. shouldn't but but you know don't throw the yellow flag yeah. too. Like you don't just, stop till they're dead and buried. <sighs> That's something that this team has a hard time with. And speaking of dead and buried, uh, before we go any further, let's just talk about where the team goes from here at one and three. <laughs> ACC. Uh, well, let's, let's just look state title. <laughs> done. You can't that Florida game is going to be atrocious. Ooh, it'll be fun. Twelve to nine or something like that. I mean, that's just going to be painful. That's going to be the 2011 pillow fight all over again. But let's say your state title, which is a big deal, and they give out rings for that at this program. That's done. ACC, done. 0-2, and that means national title, done. You're playing for pride. Yeah. And I think the part about that, which, I mean, you know, credit last year, Jimbo Fisher got those guys to believe. They signed that contract or whatever, but they started off 3-2, and two, didn't have a whole lot to play for in conference or championship aspirations, and guess what? They go and they only lose one more game the rest of the year. What was it, eight out of their last nine? Something like that. Sounds right. But but so they go and they pull it. But the difference is one, three and two is a heck of a lot different than one and three. And two, like you had that Miami game last year that you won that propelled you to have a good good rest of the season. 
You don't have that now. You have to hope that Louisville propels you if the defense can show up against a mobile quarterback and Lamar Jackson, who's shredded on the last two. We'll see. I mean, that's at home. They may be pissed and want to do it. But but the, I guess this is the larger point I was trying to make um, before I started rambling is, which tends to happen, where does, like, we don't know where this, how this team responds now at one and three. They're playing for pride, but we haven't seen this in maybe the most prideful bunch. Now, Jimbo Fisher was saying yesterday and adamant, saying they're going to keep playing, they're, this, this group's tough, they're going to grow from this. I haven't. I mean, I'm not, I don't like to say that's impossible um, and rule stuff out, but look, what have you seen that makes you think that they will? Great line from somebody yesterday. I used it on the board. Jimbo Fisher says a lot of words. Some of them are true. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's basically the post-game press conference yesterday. That's what it came they're not a confident that bunch. That whole post-game press conference was they're, bizarre, man. They're, like, they're a shattered bunch. They're not confident. Nope. I understand after one and three, you probably shouldn't be. And But yeah, last year there was something built in to get confidence. They're going to lose a couple more games. Maybe more than a couple more. I, I, the bowl eligibility streak is about the only thing I think they got left playing for in reality because I think that's basically where the season's going to factor in, five and six or six and five. And if I'm them, I am begging and pleading with Louisiana Monroe to reschedule that game. Who's going to win Rose shit? Hold, it, hold them over uh And the fact that I'm talking about the Warhawks and bowl eligibility, where this season is at. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if players care about a bowl game that's going to be a very, very low-tier game in a, an outpost. Dude, they barely cared about I the Peach think. Bowl in 2015, like against the non But that was a program fight. coming off, we only play for championships type of world. I guess, but if you're motivational, and again, like this is this is a lot of dime store psychology because I, I, I don't know, but like if you're saying <laughs> your morning says motivation is you're going to be the first team or you don't want to be the first team to go you know, you below 500. Bre- you don't want to break that streak. You... That's what I'm saying. You'll hear it from from fans. You'll hear it from former players. Hell, a lot of them will probably hear it from family members. But if if you've gotten to that point where you're already having to plead with them to not go 500, like how much does pride really matter at that point? Some have it, some don't. Going back to the guys that have a chance at going to the NFL, because there are a lot of them, like if you're in November and you haven't, like if you have nothing left really to play for. No, I get that. I'm not saying that happens. I'm just saying that that's stuff to start considering because that's the reality and the The position. The Christian McCaffrey role, basically. Yeah, that's where, yeah. But even worse, like, because, you know, listen, it's not, it's it's just not good right now. Um, It's not good. They've lost three games in three consecutive seasons. During the Jameis Winston era, you know, they only lost one game in two years. They've lost nine in three seasons. And guess what? We still have more than half a season to play. There will be more losses, more than likely, because, again, we're just going on what we've seen. It hasn't been great. And offensively, they're teetering in a bad area because receiver depth is horrible. Yep. Quarterback depth is not good. Yeah, O-line depth is not really that good, and talent starting isn't that good either. We, we, so, I mean, they're – you know, one, two bad things happening away from being in real deep shit on the offensive yeah, side of all further than they already uh, We talked about that in the podcast before the season was is the what the offense could possibly be. We didn't think it would be a worst-case scenario or weren't pro- projecting for a worst-case scenario, but that worst-case scenario was that it could be really inept and really struggle behind an offensive line that had some potential to be better but also still had issues with wide receivers that weren't really super proven, with running backs that weren't super proven. We've seen some good, but we've seen a lot of bad too. The DeAndre Francois injury is obviously a you know, wild card that we didn't project, but we also said that the quarterback depth was scary. Um, that's why when they did the list of the top 30 most important people, that's why DeAndre Francois was number one. And even though he had his flaws against Alabama, 
I think they would be three and one right now. If they had DeAndre Francois. We'll, we we'll never know. But but I think as well as James Blackman has you know he, he's been good in some spurts in some areas. He's been bad. I don't think DeAndre Francois goes drives at a time as a redshirt sophomore where their just offense is completely inept. I'm gonna make you wholeheartedly incom- uncomfortable to end this. No. If you're running a program, do you fire Charles Kelly? After this season, I mean, you have to change. You have to change your defensive coordinator. Yep. Hard. Now, whether you want to keep Charles Kelly on because there's value to him being there as a linebacker's coach or whatever, you need some different level of accountability up top. Yep. I, I just... I, I think you just fire him. I don't, I don't think... Demoting, yeah, I mean... I, I don't uh, think demoting guy... I think he might be a person capable of handling demotion, but in college athletics, that's pretty few and far between. Do we expect anything mid-season? Because here's here's why I don't... I'd be shocked. I just don't think Jimbo's made of that. I don't think that's how... That's a bad plays. idea, typically, too. Yeah, it, put, it puts out a... I know people are going to disagree with this because they want blood and they taste blood in the water and they're out with pitchforks. I get all that. You fire guys mid-season and you make the wrong hire, it falls entirely on you. And if you fire guys mid-season, it's also tougher to make some hires because some guys are like, well, hell, he just yeah, fired he just... guy mid-season. So it's sort of a balancing act. And, you know, Here's when, kinda... when you're firing somebody, you better know who you're hiring. Here's... That's always been the rule in college football that it's more true than ever. Who's the guy that if you did make a move Theoretically, oh, I put defensive thought into that. No, I'm not saying long, uh, long term. I'm saying this. Se- in, yes, and therein lies another issue: is you don't have a guy off the top of your head. A couple years ago, it was sincere. You say, "All right, this is the guy that we put in here." If if things, go, I mean, who's the guy that you say, "All right, this is our coordinator"? Yeah, that, that current staff, you know, I I don't think that's what Odell wants to do or is interested in doing. I don't know if Brad's the guy you could do that with, and certainly don't want Bill doing it. So there we so, are. I, I don't know. All um, right. There, there needs to be some level of a spark. You need to start changing through and circling some things, uh, cycling through some things on that coaching staff. I hate calling for people's jobs. I don't like it when people do it for, for me in my job. I, I, it sucks because they are grown men that have families. Um, but they get paid a lot of money. And this and is a result. This is a result. Yet. And again, if we're looking at it as a business, you're putting this money into it. You are bringing in a decent product in terms of the recruits, uh, but then you're not getting the results consistently enough to what it should be. You aren't maximizing your potential. And the same issues keep coming back as glaring problems. Oh, and by the way, Clemson's maximizing its potential. Georgia is starting to maximize its potential. Miami is starting to maximize its potential. Alabama has been maximizing its potential. Teams in your foothold in the same area and region you're in, in your conference, in your division – have either lapped you or are catching up to you very, very quickly. Georgia and Clemson are the two most concerned areas. Clemson's good at coming to Florida and pulling out three or four mm-hmm. guys. They just they consistently do it at a high level. And Georgia, FSU's kind of picked on them for years where they've been able to go up there and nitpick a few kids that they really want and compete for kids that should almost be certain walks to Georgia and still have a shot at getting them. Mm-hmm. Georgia winning, getting guys like Justin Fields in the fold—that's real bad news yeah. for them. And Miami, like, seriously, they get. I'm not. I'm not on Miami's back. I don't Miami. think Miami. I'm not saying Miami's back, but if Miami's consistently competent, and they're they, getting better. Mark's done a good yeah. job. That there's a clear cut direction of that program. That's a. Do I think they're going to win ten games this year? I truthfully, I should look at the schedule before I answer that. But I don't feel like that's uh, a great. Their team. schedule is relatively like the tougher games are at home for them, so it may break well to where that they can do that. No, I don't think it's a great team either. I'm not saying they use back. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that if this team can consistently win ten games and if it can go 500 against Florida State, you know, in a four year period, 
Then you start keeping one or two extra guys at home. Imagine if they kept Dalvin Cook at home. Yeah, yeah. Imagine what Florida State's offense would have looked like without Dalvin Cook the last couple years. It takes one transcendent talent for a program to go from being good to really, really good to great. And if you can just give yourself a little bit of leeway in Miami and then Broward and even Palm Beach, if you can in that area and just keep one or two more guys down there than you normally would, that's something to build off of. So the loss against Miami – was bad. That hurts Florida State this season because, like we said, that puts you scrambling to get in the bowl game. Uh, that hurts momentum. That hurts you know, the psyche of this team to where we don't know what they do from here. Uh, and then the loss is twofold because it's Miami that does it. Yeah. And you then took you your st- foot off their throat that you've had it on for almost a decade. So things aren't <laughs> – guys, sorry. This has been a uh, not a very positive podcast, but I think the context of where we are, and I'm trying not to be over, you know, re- reactionary to one game, but we're at one and three here now at this point. Uh, and you've seen four games. You've seen yeah. a third of the season if you assume ULM goes back on the schedule. Yeah. It's enough body of work to raise significant questions about what this program has achieved or the lack thereof, where they might be headed, and where the program stands against competition. Team won about 92% of its games with Jameis Winston as a starting quarterback. Since then, it's won 70% of its games. On the record versus Power 5, when you strip out the USFs and the FCS and these little G5 schools, which, you know, those are good games, you have to play them. Everyone record plays versus them, Power 5 is really poor. Yeah. Record in conference isn't great. Um, it's not great right now. So with that, we'll let you guys kind of simmer on it. Uh, we will be able to talk to Jimbo Fisher and hear a press conference on Monday, so stay tuned for that. Uh, thanks for listening. For Chris Nee, Bob Ferrante, I'm Brendan Sinone with the Knowles 24-7 Podcast. Uh, we'll hopefully talk to you guys later in the week.